listening to the Retail Razor Show, where your expert hosts and their guests cut through the clutter in retail and retail tech to shape the future of retail. Hello, Retail Razor listeners, and welcome to Season 2 Grand Finale. As you might have noticed, I am not your usual host. I'm Paul DeForno. I'm part of the leadership team at Commerce Practice at Deloitte Digital. We're one of the largest commerce consulting companies in the world, and we help everything from strategy to design to implementing platforms. But today, I am your guest host, and I'm turning the tables on the dynamic duo, interviewing them. So let's bring in these guests, Ricardo and Casey. Casey, Ricardo, thank you so much for having me as your guest host for a season two finale. Hey, Paul, it is awesome having you here with us. I mean, how lucky are we to have you on the actual podcast? It's so nice to have you over here. Thanks for doing this. Well, how does it feel being on the other side? Do you feel a little pressure now? You don't know what I'm going to ask. It's always a bit awkward to be your own guest, but I'm excited to answer some questions since I am usually on the side of asking questions. Yeah, okay. feeling the same way. It is a little odd being not being the one asking the questions on your own podcast. <laughs> it, but this is going to be fun. So I'm glad you're joining us. I'm thrilled we're turning things around. And I can't wait to see how you're going to try to trip us up here in the finale. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Well, I can't wait to dive in. So here we go. First, I want to check in with both of you. You had top 10 list of predictions this year. And I know we're not all the way through the year, but we want to check in to see where you're at and which ones you feel that are totally on track or which ones are totally off track. So, Ricardo. Well, this could get interesting. <laughs> Good yeah. thing there's no audience to throw things at us. <laughs> you ready for the questions, Casey? Yeah, and Ricardo, I'm a good catch, but I love Q&A, so I do miss having a live audience. I'm feeling pretty good, but Ricardo and I come from two different perspectives. That's why I think we're a little bit more fun to listen to. We do not agree on everything. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. That's good. That's why we're here. All right. For the second part, I'm also going to ask you about your favorite parts of the season and a few surprise questions along the way and follow up. I'm going to test some of the things that you come back with. Okay. Let's jump in. First question, Ricardo. Let's start with you. You each gave five predictions this year. And so, which you think maybe are the long shot. And out of those long shots, which one do you think will really come true by the end of the year and why? Oh, you really went for that one, didn't you? I'd like them all, though. (laughs) Wow. Just pick one. Let's focus on one for today. All right. I guess I'll pick one. If I have to pick one, I guess I would have to pick... The one I gave on the Anywhere Commerce versus Immersive Commerce. Okay. Let's hear some more about it. Well, I feel like that's the one that's maybe the most far out there of the predictions I did in that it's not just about retailers being the ones to seriously adopt immersive tech like AR and VR and embracing other new technologies to get commerce in the right context in new locations, like we talked about integrating it in your car, being in a stadium at a game or something like that. But it's not just about the retailers integrating the tech. It also requires consumers to be willing to adopt these at the same time. So there's a little bit of an element of the stars aligning on this one to make it come true and work out. So I think maybe that's my long shot. I'm still sticking with it, though. Okay. It's going to take a little bit longer. Casey, what do you think? I'm completely opposite. I believe 100% in Anywhere Commerce. 
and contextual commerce that every single consumer touch point is going to turn into a point of sale. But it is going to be a little bit more of a long shot as far as it's going to take longer. But I believe that it is 100% there. This punch in immersive has massive demand. And I think it's moved a lot of builders into creating better foundational structures so that we can get interesting experiences and more virtual experiences that I think is going to fuel that. But we really need better checkout. And I think everybody in that space that's very forward and immersive shopping and this, these metaverse plays and virtual experiences, they're learning supply chain right now. <laughs> and so once I think this kind of bridges, there's going to be some beautiful magic. So I noticed you guys didn't say the word as part of all that. You didn't say the word omni-channel. Okay. Is this just it doesn't exist. It never has. What's that? It doesn't exist. It never has. Ah, okay. It's all just all commerce. Right. I'm going to keep saying it's just commerce. We don't need to uh -huh. label it omni-channel or anything because I think oh, that ever, I don't know. It feels like all we ended up accomplishing was confusion with that. <laughs> all right. No, good perspectives. It. I think this is the one, it'll be interesting. It may take longer to get the full view, but then I think once we get closer to that, the goalposts will change again. So it will be interesting. Yeah. yeah. All right, Casey, same question to you. What's your biggest long shot and why? So my biggest long shot is BNPL. I just don't feel that it's good for consumers and there will be more consumer protection initiatives around the entire entity. It's bulking customers up with debt does not help customer experience and brand relationship when that payment that might be coming at you every single month is coming because it's a branded product. It, I think it does negatively affect the brand, but I understand the value of it opening up cash flow for like younger demographics and just for people in general. It does open up cash flow to buy things that you want or need, but I'm very conflicted on the two sides of it. However, Apple Pay later has now launched. So that kind of throws a wrench in my biggest long shot. So now that Apple users can split their purchases into four interest-free payments over six months without a fee, I think it might be a long shot that a firm after paying Klarna and PayPal make... Hmm. <laughs> so what what do you think, Ricardo? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think when we recorded that one and Casey went through that prediction, I think the thought was, is it going to be a little bit of a blow up or explosion in terms of consumer protections? But now maybe it's going to blow up in a different direction with Apple launching Apple Pay later. Maybe it's more now a matter of are the other company, like you just said, Casey, are these all these other companies going to survive? doing that now that they're going to have to compete directly with Apple on their platform. Well, I mean, this, so. Apple's done. Now we just need a Google one. And like, yeah, <laughs> yeah if Google comes out like, with a pay later now, then it's really going to be it. done. <laughs> I guess I guess I might be here and being a little bit of the counter to this. So actually, the stats came out and the numbers on BNPL last year, I don't have it right in front of me, but it was multiple billions of dollars. It was the fastest growing hmm. payment channel. And so it's not a lot. It's here. Yeah. But I think your point, Casey, is a nuanced one where the effect on the brand and how it's used, that's something that I think needs to be figured out. That's the concern long term, right? Like, I think the buy now, pay later is here for 
a long time. In fact, I actually first saw this and it was weird. I went to Brazil for the first time in 2011 and everywhere you went, buy now, pay later was that was just the standard way that they paid because that's the demographics that were there and that's the way they paid. And so I, especially given some of the economic trends and how people are buying, I think this is a long-term stay. The question is going to be who mm-hmm. and then how best to use it within the brand. Yeah. That, j- just my, t- my two cents there. All right. Next question. Now that we got these long shots out of the way, Ricardo, which one for you are you most sure of and why? Oh, okay. This I think this one's a little easier for me to pick because honestly, all you have to do is look at any of the news outlets that are out there today covering tech and covering retail and just everywhere. I mean, it, it's an obvious one for me. It's a prediction on generative AI. So things like whether well, it's GPT, Dolly 2, GPT-4, there's the Microsoft Copilot announcement, all these things coming out. I think it was the last prediction we had in, in our list. We saved the best for last maybe. But I think this is this is one as all as close to an automatic win I think as we're going to get in one of these predictions, just given where it's trending. Because pretty much every retailer I talk to, just about every account manager and field rep I talk to at Microsoft is saying the same thing. Every customer is looking at this and asking, "How do I use this?" Everybody's got a long list of use cases they want to apply it to. They want to understand how to build with it, how to apply it. When we had our top retail influencers calls with Rethink Retail, it was. Two months in a row, it was a topic that everybody wanted to talk about. Everyone had something to say about it. Everyone's got an opinion about it. And they're just, I don't know, so many use cases. I mean, one of my favorite ones, I've seen CarMax doing where they're using the AI tools to help a customer doing research on their site to automatically summarize all the reviews on cars. So instead of having to read thousands and thousands of reviews, you just ask a few questions and it gives you a summary of everything you need to know. So just cool. And that's such a simple if I can explain it in two sentences, <laughs> you can ask the two sentences and get a summary. You can't get much better than that. That that seems the most obvious one, but I, just to put you on the spot, I know you, you talked about an interesting one, and but let's talk specifically about commerce. What component of commerce do you think this would apply most? Like what area? I think we're going to see it apply in, in, in stages. I think initially... Anything related to discovery and product discovery, new ways of searching. So search will move, I think, from trying to think of what keyword do I use when I want to search for a product. Now I can really be super descriptive. I can talk about what my intent is when I want to search for something. Like just, I'm just thinking examples like if I'm searching for new for apparel products, instead of having to use keywords like it's, I'm searching for jeans right, or shirts or whatever it's going to be, I can describe how I'm going to wear it and where I'm going to wear it. And now as part of that search process. And these tools are going to give me different responses based on that. So I think being able to apply intent and more, almost a more emotional feeling of how I'm going to use this product in that search, I think that's going to be the probably the first area where it's going to have a big impact on commerce. And that's, that's a great example. I don't agree on anything. <laughs> <laughs> right. AI is not going to help you get dressed in the morning. I mm. promise. Yeah. <laughs> But no, I think that, listen, I think when we're buying clothing, it's emotional. And I don't think we can have a non-emotional entity help us make these emotional decisions. But when it comes to function, 100%, I think affecting mass commerce and 
I don't get excited about buying another cell phone charger. I need to buy some recording information, like pieces. So I look like Ricardo and I have a mic and all these things. Yes. <laughs> that I definitely see like there's these ways that AI is going to definitely impact search. I think it could for a period of time just dis- disrupt why the only way we see things is if there's ad money behind it. And I think we can get a lot better information and products teed up to us based off of function. But leave it to me to make sure you have the right clothes, Ricardo. Um, <laughs> I think the immediate thing better than the AI. Well, yeah, we'll do much better. But sure. I think the number one thing I'm seeing right now is managing products and uploading products into e-com is painful and often a very manual process. And so product descriptions right out of the box, being able to create clear product descriptions that are interesting, compelling. And again, going back to your point, Ricardo, that will impact search. But coming up with the tags, different categorizes, categories for everything on there in e-com, I think will be good. Uploading products, changing image sizes, being able to do some of these things more automated and painful processes, I think, is an immediate lift. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. And I think there'll be more stuff that we haven't even thought of and adjacent to it. It's something that's going to fix the whole stack of everything. So just to take another example of helping the coders, right? There's all these tools to help on the coding side. So the turnaround time on some of the coding and looking at coding is going to be helped. So if you start looking at your whole, and you mentioned supply chain earlier, right? If you start looking at everything, if everything gets improved five, 10%, that's where that whole effect comes in. So beyond just the experience part, I think it's going to affect the whole stack. Yeah. Canva had an update last this week that was probably the best product update release I've ever seen. And there is generative art. There is redesigning your slides with AI. You have chat GPTs in there. All of these solutions and all of these pieces just kind of came in wrapped up like a present. And I have to say they've like 10x my speed to create. And it did a phenomenal job. And there's designers that are using it to create. They'll design one product and then they'll use the generative AI to create 10 more styles. And it's kind of where I'm like, okay, now I'm getting a little bit conflicted again between I believe designers should be talented human beings that get to achieve their dreams versus being replaced. So I think we'll see what kind of happens here. As of today, Italy has banned GPT, chat GPT. They'll come around. Everybody always does. But I think that that's kind of interesting. They feel that there are unlawfully processing people's data and privacy issues. So hmm. interesting. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So how long before we all become prompt engineers? Right. <laughs> I've already yeah. seen this. I've already seen people start to publish like, hey, I'm a prompt engineer. I'm an expert. So there you go. Okay. New roles popping up all the time. Yep. New roles. All right. Casey, what about you? What's your sure thing prediction? Sure thing is the explosion of CDPs. So customer data platforms, there is really no excuse 
anymore for a customer to have a bad experience with your brand. Not being able to produce like basic functional care to shoppers is unacceptable. And the main reason that we still have this is because a lot of the customer experience and customer support is fragmented. And none of that data is really available to anybody that needs it. It's available to everybody who doesn't need it. And a lot of the time, like when the customer is with you and you need it, they don't have access. And so I think that having CDPs essentially come in and start pulling all of this data together so that everybody has one point system, whether or not it's checking on an order, which hopefully AI is going to take care of. You don't need to do that anymore. But we're going to have different database systems to be able to pull all this customer information together and really be able to craft more around the consumer. And I think that this is just going to cause more of an extinction of traditional CRMs over maybe the next five years. The way we think of a CRM, the way we, the box we put it in, I think it's not going to be there anymore. And so the CDP is becoming mission critical for a company, I believe this year, needs to enter and see essentially how it's going to be deployed over the next like 18 to 24 months. But I don't see a company being able to operate in 2024 without a CDP. Well, that's a great commercial for my CDP group. But but, uh, let let me challenge you on that of the one that you want this to happen earlier, knowing especially some of the big enterprise brands that we work with, some of the challenges that they have of just tying all the different systems. It's one thing if if you're dealing with a direct-to-consumer or one brand, smaller, when you get into acquisitions and a holding company that owns all these different retailers, bringing them together. CDP is not easy and trying to get it, or they might have a version, kind of a CDP here, kind of CDP there. How do you coordinate it all together? And so I a hundred percent agree on this might, you might've jumped the question. Like this is what you want <laughs> people <laughs> to have as to, cause this is harder. This ends up being a lot harder in my experience to get adoption earlier just because of all of the change management, all of the different things that are out there. But I 100% agree that people need to go to this. Well, I think you're right. I mean, it can be it can be a lot more complicated. It's not in a lot of other companies' best interest to want to integrate with your CDP. Yeah. And so I think that there's going to be a lot of change management there. But The way I see it is consumers are going to gain more and more and more protection over their rights to their data. And if you're GDPR compliant, like they already have more rights than we can service today. And so this is going to, it's going to be mandatory whether or not it's executed well or at a hundred percent. I just don't think that we can really go into next year without making sure that you're operating in compliance because compliance is going to be is already moving faster than the software company is what do you think ricardo yeah i mean i definitely agree in principle on the need right and the want i'm thinking about your point paul about how it's not easy necessarily right especially the larger the organization 
the more potential disconnected systems there are that need to be connected to create that CDP. I think it's doable. I work with some partners that are in this space as well, and I think they're doing a good job. It's something where, again, it's where you want to plug in the AI models into it to help with some of that. So I think I think it's a doable thing. You know, it may be one of those where when, when we're looking at it at the end of the year, maybe it's not complete for some of the largest organizations and it's still in progress. But I think though, I think maybe Casey's point is it as everyone moves to this, that want and need is going to cause some action, right? And people are going to start doing things about it and moving in that direction. So even if they don't have it fully deployed and ready, I, I think it, it's a valid point. And I'm, I think from a prediction point of view, yeah, it means people are going to be trying to leverage a CDP as much as they can by the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, I think really they're going to make the purchase. Yeah. I think last year, $640 billion was spent on customer experience software. They all need a CDP to power. Everything is going to need the CDP to power customer experiences. But we kind of have to start with where our core is. And so I think if I had to deploy monies or say what's a sure thing, you're going to need one and you the sooner the better. <laughs> awesome. Casey, thank you for that. You just, I just, you just recorded my commercial for me that it's going to be my pre-roll <laughs> intro to our CDP presentation, but let's Perfect. move on. All right. I got one for you. For your other four predictions, which ones do you think you most want to actually come to life, right? And you want to see go big. So Casey, let's start with you. I want loyalty programs to mean something again. I think that there's a lot of emphasis on loyalty programs right now. And I've seen a lot of companies scaling back rewards at the same time and taking away common perks. And so I'd really like to just see this loyalty program just facilitate into something that's actually going to build loyalty, not a marketing campaign. I think that this is the moment where it could really be a differentiator in the brand, the customer experience. But if we keep diluting it or disrupting them, like it's just not, it seems more marketing than it is actually provide any services. And so I think that this is a place where there's going to be a lot of movement. And I see anybody who's scaling back rewards, I think that they're going to have a negative impact onto their business. And I think loyalty programs are just going to really start meaning something interesting from access to product first, access to buy at a discount or even shop sale first. I think the loyalty programs could turn into something really meaningful and have some really interesting perks that haven't really been the point, maybe not points. So, so Casey, is this part of your your favorite hotel chain, making sure you get that nice omelet and premium breakfast instead right, of like, old bagel. Yeah. So like I get, you know, they, they put a little goldfish in my room and they make sure that Mr. Darcy's there. <laughs> I don't expect the rest of the retail industry to be able to compare to the way that I might be treated at a hotel or you might be treated at a hotel. But I do feel that there's an opportunity if that's the top, why is the bottom like 10% off your next coffee after you buy 100? <laughs> what does it take to get a reward? Like, 
50,000 points for a dollar off your next order. Come on, let's do something. And I think that this is the moment where everybody's been talking about loyalty, whether or not they're adding more, taking it away. And there's a lot of loyalty programs out there. And I think that we're going to get a, it's going to turn into an actual program, not just about pricing. It's not just about discounts. I think it can be a lot more. And I think even mass merchants are going to find something more than a discount. Okay. Ricardo. Who? So for me, I would have to say it's the prediction had about automation in, in stores for frontline workers. Over the years, I think there's always a lot of predictions around what's going to change for store teams. Years back, Richard really only talked about them in the context of better training for employees. But I think now in, in recent years since the pandemic, we're, we have a different perspective on what those store teams are doing and, and how they work. And now that with, with labor shortages and things for retailers, I think there's more of a view of you have to actually make this environment better. You've got to provide the right tools that aren't intended to necessarily replace people in the store, but it's intended to make them, you know, make their jobs more efficient, more effective, more productive, hopefully getting rid of a lot of the annoying tasks that we force onto store teams that they have to take care of, but to keep them away from customers. So I, I think we'll finally start to see some meaningful things done here with real deployments of technologies that are having an impact and I think with an end goal of trying to really make that environment so it's not just a job, but it's more about creating a career path where you might even finally start looking at those em employee roles as not all being equal in that some folks on your store team may have different skills and you need to actually take advantage of that in the sense that give them things they can do that are built on, on those skills so that some of those Store associates might have a different role than others, and that's okay. That's a good thing because that helps create those career paths. So I think that's going to be the one that I really want to see go big. Thank you He's for amplifying the real retail heroes, Ricardo. <laughs> I mean, exactly. Paul, I bring this up, it's a sales pitch. So I <laughs> 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 don't talk about frontline workers very much on here, but I just, if you're moving forward, I think we just need to to bring our people with us. Yeah, Absolutely. and it, it's a fascinating area. In fact, I noticed at NRF, if you walk the floor, some of the biggest booths were actually targeted towards the frontline industry. I was actually surprised right at the front doors. Mm -hmm. so friends of mine, actually startups that are now massive. And I, I know we're working with some fascinating, very large grocery retailers that to automate like when they get into work, how can they prioritize their tasks? And also really interestingly, things change so much. Some, you know, there's a storm coming in. How do you rally the troops very quickly and things like that? So I, I think we're just at, at a tipping point of finding ways to really drive and empower the frontline worker. So exciting. I agree with that one. That will be really good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Now let's step back and look at the season as a whole. You had too many series, I'll call them. Both were based on live recordings, one at Grocery Shop and one at NRF. Now, usually we're doing your recording kind of like this virtually. So talk about how it was to be live and talking live with the people right in front of you. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll jump in on this one because unfortunately Casey wasn't able to, to join me on, on, on those. But 
you know, it was um, long, long. <laughs> I, I know we, okay. we miss Casey yeah, on those a lot. And like literally at the store, grocery shopping, <laughs> never been to that show. <laughs> I know, I know. But you're right. It is it is different though because you, you get a little. It feels a little more authentic. Maybe you get a little bit more dynamic reactions when you're seeing someone face to face and in person versus just seeing them in a little video square on the screen. So so there is that. I think that creates a different excitement level from from guests on the show when you're live versus remote. And I think that really comes out right in both in both series, the grocery shop one and the NRF ones. Cool. All right. All right. I have to ask you about your special guest host and crossover companion at NRF. That 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 was kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So special shout out to Jeff Roster, host of this week in innovation podcast. We did a crossover there. He's been with us as one of our esteemed retail Avengers from them the first season, where we like to refer to him as the analyst. So Jeff and I decided to team up a little bit at NRF and see what can we do to do this in person. And it was interesting experience because it's a, a little different than what I did at grocery shop, you know, grocery shop, shop talk. They're, they're good at providing you an entire facility with recording equipment and a dedicated room that you can use. NRF is a little more complicated and that, that we didn't technically qualify to, to use their facilities for that. So we kind of had to figure it out for ourselves and 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 understand, okay, what what do we need to what equipment do we need? And and then of course the biggest challenge is figuring out, well, where are we going to do this? And we were lucky we had our friends and fans of the show at Avanon allowed us to use their lounge space as our mobile recording studio. For both Jeff and I, I think that was a new experience. We learned a lot from that and it, and hopefully upped our podcast game to do more of these live in-person recordings that way. Gotcha. So question. Am I an honorary Avenger since I was there in the clubhouse, in the clubhouse game? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yep. Clubhouse? That's Anybody? right. That's right. That, that, that's why you get invited to guest host. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So question for you, Casey, what interview stood out to you the most, both at grocery shop and NRF? So both of which I missed. So the, the episode with Ron and Vicky it really stood out at NRF that it is it is absolutely something magical when we're together in, in real life. And I think that those there's nothing that can compare to everybody be, having that energy and bringing it all to the same table and having these great conversations. So, I mean, it was something where I didn't tune out. I was listening to it. And I think that it just brings like a very different dynamic to podcasts. Yes. But I mean, it goes to show we have really talented people in this space that are so passionate about retail. And so the Ron and Vicky episode just, you know, moved right up to my top as the most memorable. Yeah, I, I have to say on, on that one, too. I mean, one of the things that worked so great with that, I mean, we we didn't plan anything in advance for, for that one. We were all all. Four of us were at the Retail ROI Super Saturday event that we were, we were hosting at the Microsoft office. And right at the end of the day, when everything was wrapping up, we said, why don't we sit down and just record a quick 15-minute conversation just on some thoughts of what we, what we experienced in the day, kind of what we were hoping to see at NRF. And then, of course, we got so into it, it turned into 50 minutes, not 15. So it went a little bit longer. Wow, that's great. So what, what did you think, Casey, about that? So like, I mean, Ron Thurston, I'm like a super fan. <laughs> we'll just say that I am a super fan and Cantrell is, is phenomenal. So, I mean, I wish I, I wish I could have been there. It was just really special. And Gabrielle 
what was it? Gabrielle Bach from Rethink Retail. Mm -hmm. She was filming the video for that. Yeah, yeah. She recorded the video for us. You guys are walking around in a tiny room with her video (laughs) way longer than she was supposed to. Yeah, she she was really real good. I don't even know what to say to you because we talked. She heard us talking about wanting to do it and said, hey, do you guys want me to record the video for that that you can use? I don't I don't mind doing it. So yeah, we're only going to be 15 minutes or so. Oh, sure. No problem. And she's sitting there holding all the video equipment and this. And you can see in the video, this was such a tiny conference room that we ended up picking and she's trying to kind of move around all of us to get the right angles. And um, she had to change batteries midway through it and then run out of battery power because we went so long. So that was that was definitely something. Cool. All right. So you definitely have to keep doing more of those in the future. Oh, oh, for sure. So, so stay tuned. We, we, we have one very much like that coming from Shop Talk that we just did. Awesome. All right. Now let's talk about one of your fun series within a series, so to speak, the Retail Transformer series. You started the series in series one, but it really took off with this season with four special retail transformation episodes. But honestly, you could have called it both Grocery Shop and NRF Series the same, couldn't you? Yes, yeah, true. I mean, we're all essentially Transformers. That's why we brought them on the show. I, I think Casey was just about to go, Transformers. You <laughs> totally. Yep, yep. I'm stealing Another my line there. Reference. I'm like, <laughs> that's what you're thinking. In my composure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That we're, we're supposed to have, yeah, we're professional here. All right. Okay. That's right. That's right. Ba- back to the story here. So, which one stood out the most for you, Casey? So, my favorite retail transformer during that, this series was Brian Dove with Commerce Hub. We could have, that podcast could have gone on for hours. Literally, I would have been fine if Ricardo stopped record and I just continued talking to Brian for. <laughs> The rest of the day, his approach is really compelling. He's solving, solving supply chain is probably one of the ugliest and most complex sides of the business and making changes in supply chain are like, they're, they're like complete. They're not even a heart transplant. It's a complete nervous system transplant. And I just think that our supply chains need the most transformation and it's just hard, ugly work. You don't get a lot of rainbows and sunshines and like glitter doing things in supply chain. It's waking up in the morning, day in, day out, doing the stuff that nobody else wants to do. And I think he came out with a very, his approach is incredible. And I think that we're just going to see more drop shipping directly from manufacturers, them managing their own distribution, and and selling inventory in, in third-party logistics warehouses. This piece of supply chain that is part of Commerce Hub, they're only like a fraction of what could be. But I think for, for what he's done and what they're doing now and where they're going, he is my top re- retail transformer that stood out during that series. Wow, I can't have my guys listening to this podcast because before you're talking up the CDP guys, now my supply chain guys are just, see, we're we're more important than everybody Wait, else. Has to work with me, Paul. Oh, <laughs> I, I don't know how. What what about us? Come on, no, 
Yeah, 100%. There's so many angels in this space that I just feel like a lot of a lot of it the attention goes to the marketers in general and I just feel like marketing is just not retail. It takes so much to make that product. <laughs> and honestly, in the last couple of years, right? I think people got oh, all we have to do is just drop ship stuff and things just show up and it, you know, magic. right? Yeah, it's magic. And, and nobody has to make profit off of it. Now the real work, oh, damn, we've got to source this and to scale it. <laughs> right. You actually do it profitably, right? And so right. now this, we had a little bubble of this magic, every, all this funding and these tools that made it enabled all of this to look like it didn't, it was super easy and anybody could do it. But now the real vendors are coming out. And, and so you really have to focus on back to the basics, right? And, and, and how to tie all these together. I agree. So Ricardo, how about you? So continuing on, on that theme you just brought up there, Paul. So, so my, one of my favorites is the, the retail transform we did with Polly Wong. Because she reinforced something that both Casey and I, I think, absolutely loved when she said it. I, I think we almost had to stop recording to regain some composure from, from a comment that she just so casually dropped about how you can't have a profitable business when you're only focused on acquisition as a fact. And she just rolled that phrase out so matter-of-factly like it was just the most fundamental thing that everybody had been lost on. That one, to me, to kind of set the tone for the whole rest of the recording on that one because that was pretty early on i think that was just gold uh, when she brought that up and you know we, we had been wanting to do some direct-to-consumer focus episodes so polly gave us a chance to talk about how is dtc really moving forward bringing it back to this idea of profitability how do you shift from customer acquisition focus to actually building customer loyalty maintaining that community of customers and she i just love how she gave us this picture of all these different ways and methods that those brands are now marketing to consumers that, that kind of brought things back. Like when she mentioned print catalogs were as if they're the brand new thing that DTC brands were doing and being successful at it. I think that was, that was just something I don't think anybody who was listening expected to hear that. And that, that, I just love that one. I agree. I think everything that was old is new again. Hmm. It is that it is this moment of back to the basics. I think Facebook essentially broke our foundation for digital. It created this false foundation for digital, let's say that. And so now that companies are really pulling back into, I don't want to rely on Facebook ads. And now I'm not even getting that 8x or 12x, 30x. I'm like lucky if I can get a 2x return right now because of all of the different changes. I think we're going back to just building better with the newer technologies and a lot of this is foundational. It's just a new foundation for digital. That's just, I think we, too many people over, overbuilt on relying on a, the Facebook platform and ads. Hey, I think Omnichannel is back. <laughs> yeah, that works. Unified commerce. If you need to use a word, unified. There you go. There you go. Unified uh, commerce. That, that's well, that should be another, that should be another podcast. Yeah. The, the battle, battle of semantics. Yeah. No oh, harm. No consume. What is it? I just saw it. Composable commerce. Oh, right. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> but the battle of the the terms. All right. Battle of the terms. There you go. All right. So dictionary. Now that wasn't the only topical series you had. You also had a special episode. We already talked about one, your predictions episode, but you also had an interesting one with Andy Ladado from NRF Beginners, and of course the holiday special guest from Square and others. How did you come about with those? Well, I mean, speaking of the holiday season, we knew we wanted to make a holiday-themed episode. But, you know, every retail podcast seems to do this and focuses on predicting retail sales, right? And so we wanted to do something different. We brought together Bridget Johns, founder of To and From, to share her perspective on what customers were actually shopping for gifts and what inspired them. And then we added Roshan from Square to share their recent survey report on what retailers were doing to gear up for the holiday. So we really felt like our holiday episode delivered perspectives on both sides of the equation from the retailer and the consumer. Instead of focusing on the number, we really wanted to focus on actually what's happening in the shopping experience and this thought process coming into holiday and how retailers could use that information to make their season more successful and hit those numbers that everybody's projecting. And I found it very much more insightful, really learning from the sides of Roshan from Square and Bridget from To and From. Yeah, that's what we really call cutting through the clutter. Interesting. Okay. All right. What about the NRF for Beginners episode? So, so that one, we wanted to do something special leading up to NRF. Obviously, we got to call it our industry's biggest moment of the year, right? It's the biggest show. So we knew we had to do something as a retail podcast. But lucky enough for us, Andy reached out to me and said, hey, I got a great idea for a podcast episode. Let's talk about what beginners to NRF need to know by, and, and lever- leveraging the experience of those of us who've been there for so many years and years. So we thought, oh, this is a brilliant idea. I mean, yeah, n- nobody's ever talking about that. Everyone always talks about NRF on the assumption that everyone knows what it is and knows what they're doing when they get there. But the fact is every year, right, they're always beginners that have never been to NRF before. So let- let's focus on that. So off we went. Andy came on. We, we highlighted, you know, how does a newbie to the show tackle it? What are the, the-, the-, the secret things you-, you need to know that nobody really ever shares or tells you that you wished you knew by the time you got to the end of the show? And everybody got to really benefit from all of Andy's multitude of, of years of NRF wisdom. Yeah. So well, what do you oh, think, Casey? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I am still an NRF newbie, I feel, even though I've been there most of my career. Because <laughs> yeah. there's, based off of how you go there and what context, are you a vendor? Are you on the buy-ins? That changes throughout our career. So you may have been a buyer for 10 years, but then you're going to NRF as a vendor for the first time and the tables turn, the experience is different. And yeah, I think we're kind of all newbies because I'm going as a vendor, but then each year you're changing what that means. You know, like not everybody has the Microsoft booth or the Salesforce booth. And so for everybody else, I think that it is pretty interesting on aligning expectations and like strategy for some of these companies that are coming in on the vendor side for the first time to maximize and and even just new people coming in to go shopping. You know, it's a big floor. Yeah, that that probably would be pretty different if you were a buyer 
I'm sure everybody wanted you to come to their event and take you out for dinner and everything. And then you're on the other side and you're like, oh crap. I've got to. The hunted from the hunted, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, it's a little bit different. Okay. All right. I'm going to bring this home now with this one. One of the things I like about what you did this season was the introduction of the idea of new segments within each episode. And your first one is what you guys call retail razor data blades, which you brought in a specialist for, right? Yeah. So, and again, we, we didn't want to make yet another retail podcast. I mean, there's like, what, over a hundred out there right now. I've lost track. So we want to do something unique that provides a value, not just to the retail tech community that at the end of the day, right, both Casey and I are part of right now, but also to retailers who are getting bombarded with information and that realistically need some guidance on how to sift through all of that, all that data that gets published out there. And like we're always saying, we want to cut through the clutter of, of that noise. Yeah. And we worked with our friends over at True Rating and Georgina and Nelson, their phenomenal CEO, to leverage all the rich data that they've gone through their retailer customers from survey questions that they ask at the point of sale to offer our listeners and viewers some insights into what consumers are actually doing and not doing with their purchasing habits. Yeah, so we introduced this segment. We had it on, I think, three times this season. And we're, we're definitely going to bring this one back next season. Big shout out to Georgina, who was so good at recording this with us when, when she was just days away from her baby's due date. So it was just amazing that we were able to get that in. We, we kept joking that we might not get these recordings done in time, but we managed to pull it off. So that was amazing. <laughs> wow. All right. She prepared to have laptop <laughs> with her. You know, like when we say she's a phenomenal Georgina, like props to this woman. She's she's a great leader. Wow, that's commitment. Okay. Now for next year, next season, do you guys have a theme yet? Yeah, after season one focused on digital transformation and the impact of transformation on the people in the retail business. This season, our focus was the evolution of channel operations in the retail business. That's why we started the season with a big one-two punch with the metaverse and retail media networks. Yeah, and if you think about all the retail transformers we brought in this season, we really kept that focus. We started out with, with Alan Smithson to dive deeper into metaverse, what he was doing building the mall in the metaverse, to the episode I mentioned where we had Polly on. We're talking about that. And then again, the one Casey mentioned with Brian Dove from Commerce Have, we really drove into the future of e-commerce on that one and marketplaces. So for next season, where are we taking it? We're going to try to focus a little bit more on some of these themes, a, lo a little bit sharper, things like anywhere commerce and immersive commerce. And I think look at how that's happening with this in the middle of this backdrop that I, I think of as a, a back to basics kind of mood in retail. Ah, back to my supply chain, guys. All right, <laughs> we need them. But That's but right. I got the whole cool shows and I guess we got to give them some work. All right, so let's tie in, you know, your predictions there. But what exactly do you mean back to basics? Well, I, I think we, we really need to sort of acknowledge that retailers are focusing this year on, on how to get better at the business of retailer, retailing. So the past few years through the pandemic, right, what, what, what did retailers end up seeing? There's a lot of rapid growth in some specific areas for many retailers, but 
because a lot of it happened so fast, and I, I think we have to admit, right, faster than most retailers were used to change and, and adapting new things. So that meant that they, the focus was just get it out there to deliver those experiences for, for the consumers for what consumers wanted at whatever the cost was, because it just it had to be done and it had to be done fast. So now most retailers, I think, are figuring out we did these things, maybe not in the best way we could have done it. So let's optimize a little bit. Let's make sure that we take out as much of the cost as we can, but, but still be able to do these things. How do we inject some profitability into it? We've got all these crazy new tools like the generative AI that I mentioned in the predictions. We talked about the automation for, for store teams. How do we still inject those things? But let's not do it in the in the crazy do it at all costs way that we were forced into the last few years. Let's do it in a more methodical way that we know is going to maintain some profitability. We're, wa- we're watching. We don't know what the outcome is going to be right in terms of shopping trends or consumers going to keep buying at the pace they've been buying. Are they going to slow down because of inflation? Are they going to go back to saving more versus spending? With all this backdrop, how do we keep these things going? We can't take back any of the new things and capabilities we introduce because consumers will, will find another brand, right? If we take these things away. So we have to find ways to keep optimizing and keep doing them. But at least the way I like to look at it is you can't just cost cut your way to success. You still have to invest in the future. And even though that near-term investment is hopefully something that's going to return you a, a cost reduction in the future, but you have to do it in a smart way. So I think those are the kinds of things that we're looking at these trendy things like immersive commerce and everywhere commerce and retailers still need to do that, but it matters now how you do it more so than it did before. Yeah, I'm 100% on this is going to be the time for reality. And we're going to be spending a lot more time on the the reality of, of where our retail is today to build, to be able to adopt some of the new technology at scale. It's just, we spend so much time on marketing and acquisition, and we saw that it just cost us too much money and a lot of turn. And so focusing on retention and stable systems and being able to go ahead and say like, listen, why are there 400 messages a day of a customer looking for their package? Okay, that's not a customer service opportunity. That's an opportunity to fix it. (laughs) like this is like adding these things to plug problems and band-aids we've got to solve the actual problems and i think that that's everything that i've seen right now has been i have we have customers we're going to focus on keeping them and we need to go ahead and make sure that we're ready for the next five years of retail otherwise we i don't know if we'll be here or we're going to lose our market share and I'll and I'll just put an exclamation mark on that. Like, all I'm hearing is optimize. How do we optimize? Mm-hmm. How do we right. use what we have? We spend a ton of investments over the past couple of years. How do we use them well? Right. Like that's what I keep hearing. That's what yeah. That's what my colleagues are hearing. So I think the more that they can do better, and guess what? The P word. You got to be profitable. Yeah. Right. How do we right. optimize? be for profit and and more so than ever especially with the uncertainty on the economics and that i think it's just going to be more important okay one last thing i want to know any new segments you're introducing like the retail razor data blades 
Yeah, since that's, that's been pretty popular. So we are looking at adding more of those. So for example, one, we're going to bring a, a unique perspective to answer the, the hot questions of the day from an academic's viewpoint. I think that's going to be maybe eye-opening for some folks based on, on what kind of responses we, we hear there and what kind of discussion we have. But I think it'll be a unique independent viewpoint people aren't used to hearing necessarily. Then another one we're thinking about doing is a segment that'll focus on retail leadership qualities. There's been some interesting news media reports lately talking about how there seems to be a shortage of, of CEOs in retail and a shortage of, of quality executives. So we're going to dig in a little bit, I think, in, in a new segment there and bring in some folks to uh, give some tips on, you know, what are those leadership roles? What are those skills at those leaderships? What traits do they need to have to really be successful in, in retail that maybe not everyone has developed or, or needs to develop better? I think back to what I just said, the P word, <laughs> we need the CEOs driving the profitability, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think they're going to come from unexpected places. You know, we've had a lot of executives that have been running the top for 25 years. I think retail in general, it's been leadership has been plugged. I know a lot of VPs and SVPs that had their jobs for 28 years. They're not going anywhere and they didn't let anybody rise through. And so there's a lot of talent out there that could probably hop some steps and really make some big changes and some positive, profitable changes at these companies. And uh, I'm excited to have those, those sessions because there's a lot of untapped talent out in this industry. Nobody's in this industry to get rich, right? Like we are all <laughs> on pure freaking passion because it would be a lot easier working some other industries than it is in this space. We're here with like committed love. Yes, that's <laughs> yes. right. So all of that's pretty interesting. So any hints for the expert speakers to come? We can't give everything away on this episode. I'm going to leave that on, on Ricardo if he wants to add any spoilers. I think we can afford to make people wait and see and, and make it a surprise. Well, maybe you guys can give us a preview trailer soon and, yeah, you know, a teaser. Yeah, yeah. Be on the lookout for that. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for inviting me on the show to guest host and be an honorary Avenger. It's been a year, Casey and Ricardo, since we saw, you know, the comeback at the Shop Talk last year. And yeah, we just right. done another Shop Talk. With, but Ricardo, I didn't see you. I, I, I tried to try I don't know that. how we missed each other. So, so I know every it was day crazy. But, yeah. But thank you. I had a lot of fun and looking forward to next year. Thank you so much, Paul. I loved having you on the show and we'll work on that honorary Avenger title. That's but, right. That's right. This was a great, fantastic experience. We can't wait to have you back on the show again soon. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll give a big thanks out to all of our Retail Razor Show fans this season. Casey, I think that means this show, for that matter, this whole season is a wrap now. Yeah, if you enjoyed our show this season, please consider giving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Remember to smash that subscribe button in your favorite podcast player so you don't miss a minute. And if you'd rather watch us instead of listening, subscribe to our YouTube channel and like and comment. There's a new season out there too. And of course, if you want to know more about what we talked about today, including a full transcript of each episode, look at the show notes for handy links to more deets. I'm your co-host, Casey Golden. And if you'd like to connect with us and share your thoughts on this season, follow us on Twitter at KCC Golden and Ricardo underscore Belmar or find us on LinkedIn. 
Be sure and follow the show on Twitter at Retail Razor and on LinkedIn for the latest updates and stay tuned for a season three trailer like Paul was asking us for. Coming soon, we promise. It'll be worth the wait. I'm your host, Ricardo Belmar. Thanks for joining us. And remember, there's never been a better time to be in retail if you cut through the clutter. Until next time, this is the Retail Razor Show.